Welcome to episode 132 of the Gambots Podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and this is my co-host. It's Christian. On this week's episode, we have some television news, book news, and Christian and I watched the movie Clueless. But first, Christian, I wanted to touch on some video game news real quick before we jump into Clueless. I'm going to lead with some of my initial talking points, and then I'm going to jump into the bigger one that happened today. So first, have you ever played Life is Strange? I can't remember. I have not. I don't even, I might have talked about it on the podcast, I can't remember, but Life is Strange Remastered is coming out this week, actually. So whenever this is uploaded, you should be able to pick it up. It's a collection of the Life is Strange and then Life is Strange Before the Storm. It's like a story-driven game. If you can find this one for pretty cheap, Christian, I suggest picking it up. I know the non-remastered version was down to $2 at points uh, for sales. I think you might enjoy it. But I wanted to point out to our audience that that is uh, happening. It's, it was one of my favorite like story games of the last generation. It, it's along the lines of the Telltale game. So if you had ever played like the Walking Dead series or like the Batman, Telltale Batman series, things like that. It's it's mostly a story game that you have uh, minor interactions with. Nice. And another big release coming this month is Elden Ring. <laughs> it, this is the next game in the by FromSoft, who are the guys who created Bloodborne and Dark Souls and Demon Souls and those games. And I I think this is a pretty highly anticipated game. Like those games have like low-key very large and dedicated audiences and this is their first take at an open world game which they've never done before with this formula so i i'm really excited about the release of this one interesting they uh the director of it did an interview with playstation blog recently and he he said they didn't tone down the difficulty which if you don't know these games are known (laughs) for being difficult but he said he thinks more people will actually complete this one because of the open world nature. I guess maybe if you get frustrated at one point, you can go somewhere else until you get a little bit stronger. Yeah. Uh, and he, he also said that they have made the multiplayer easier, so it's easier to ask for help. Where like in previous games, I forget how every game was slightly different, but if you wanted to play with a friend, like there's a convoluted password system where you had to like both enter like or one of them one of the players had to enter like this long password. It was a pain in the butt. And I, I know in some of them that if you summoned help, that also opened you up to invaders, which then made it harder to deal with a level, which is just dealing with the pain in the butt enemies to begin with, but also another player who comes in and is actively trying to kill you guys. <laughs> so we'll see. I'm excited. I don't know if this is a day one purchase for me. I have uh, traditionally picked these games up a while after they come out when they're on sale, but... I really like Bloodborne, Demon Souls, and I played Dark Souls 1 and 3, so I would say I'm like a fan of FromSoft. So I will be probably playing this at some point in 2022, though. Is this just a PS5, or is it coming to PS4 too? Elden Ring's going to be available on pretty much everything. PlayStation 4, Xbox Series X, Series S, Xbox One, PlayStation 5, Windows. Uh, the only... So two of these games actually are PlayStation exclusives. It was their very first one, Demon Souls, and then Bloodborne. But that's because Sony either published or they basically paid FromSoft to make them. After that, everything else has been available on all platforms. And I think the community at large generally plays them on Windows because you can do mods and stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I, I do love a good open-world game. I would, I'd be interested in picking this up if I have time to play it. But if it's a PS5 exclusive, then I'm out. <laughs> yeah. I I think the best place to enter the Soulsborne and it, it it's honestly a gameplay style that I think takes a while to get used to. Like what really hooked me was Demon Souls, like ten not ten, but like eight years after it had first released. <laughs> like it was well like it was right before the server shut down on the PS3. I finally like got it and I tried to get into that like two times and Bloodborne two or three times before just the formula clicked for me. And honestly, part of the reason why it clicked for me was when I was doing Demon Souls, I had some of the trophies and I was like, I got to get the platinum on this. So I ended up following a walkthrough for uh, large parts of the beginning. And that was actually really helpful because it helped me understand the mechanics of the game a lot better than like part of the fun, I guess is going in blind. But if you get frustrated easily, like I do, it, it gets tedious of like missing where you can open up shortcuts and stuff like that. Like I'd gone level through levels and didn't even know shortcuts were a thing. 
And so seeing it on a level was like, oh, this would have been like I would have been more willing to give this a try because I wouldn't have to like run twenty minutes through a level again. Like I could have just gone five minutes and gotten to the boss. Yeah. And the news that just dropped today, Sony has announced, or I guess Bungie maybe has announced it, but Sony is set to buy Bungie for three point six billion dollars, which nowhere near as huge of an as an acquisition that microsoft was buying activision blizzard that we talked about last week but this is i mean for context still a pretty big purchase like we were talking about last week facebook bought oculus for under two billion dollars uh i think minecraft was bought for a billion or two billion and last year microsoft bought bethesda for seven billion so you know, I guess it's not as big as some of the other ones, but, you know, a $3.6 billion acquisition of one of the major third-party studios in the gaming sphere, I think is pretty big news. Yeah, I mean, it's more money than I'll ever see in my life. Yeah. What's interesting about this one is, one, this and last week is, one, we had said Xbox now owns Crash Bandicoot and Spyro, which were traditionally PlayStation game you associate with PlayStation. Bungie was the original creators of Halo. They obviously didn't keep the intellectual property and Microsoft owns it, but now Sony owns the studio that made Halo. Huh. Which is, is crazy. And also like you're like, oh, 3.6 billion, like it's not as much as like Bethesda. Bungie only has one franchise, which is Destiny, which means like Sony basically paid $3.6 billion for Destiny and then whatever Bungie's going to make in the future. But yeah, it's kind of crazy that they paid that much for one property. And this one, act like the Activision Blizzard one affected me to a certain extent because I played Overwatch, but I've been playing so much Destiny the past couple months. Like this one's actually a game I, I, uh, I play a lot. And I'm even, I want to say the same thing I did last year or last week. Like I'm happy that, I don't have to worry about playing Destiny in the future, but just first-party studios buying up all the major third-party ones I don't think is a good thing in the long term because we're going to get... It's just like a chance for another major third-party game to be taken out of uh, everyone being able to play it easily, and then it's just cordoned off in its own ecosystem. News about Destiny, though, is they have announced that, at least for Destiny 2, there's no plans to restrict the platform is still supposed to be multi-platform but you know that's what they say now who knows what happens in a year or two all right now on to this week's movie this week christian we watched clueless which sure did i don't want to just say this is a 90s classic I've read some articles where this is listed as, you know, top 50, top 100 movie of all time, which I was legitimately surprised by after watching. Uh, yeah, I would like to know who published a list with with that stipulation. Yeah, so this was directed by Amy Heckerling, who actually has a fair number of uh, movie, like big movies, I think, to her name. She has Night of the Roxbury, which I don't think critically did well, but I always thought was very funny. Look Who's topic, Talking, National Lampoon's European Vacation, and Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And it stars Alicia Silverstone, Stacey Dash, Brittany Murphy, Paul Rudd, Donald Faison's in it. Like, there's a lot of random people who popped up, but those are the main ones right there. Christian, what was the general plot of this? I mean, this was... I guess you could call it, like, a coming-of-age movie, or, like, a slice-of-life movie, basically, about this like, wealthy child who is trying to figure out how to, like, make her way through high school, and she's trying to, like, fix all the people around her, which is, you know, never a great thing. <laughs> right. Um, but, they, yeah, the, the new girl comes to school, and then they, they kind of take it upon themselves to make her, like, their project. I will say this movie didn't really go in any directions I thought it was going to go. So I guess for context, this, the plot characters, themes, and values of this movie are based off of a Jane Austen novel titled Emma. So maybe that's why it didn't go into more tropey areas that I thought. But when I was watching this, I thought there was going to be a mean girl turn at some point where um, 
the new girl, like she did turn into a jerk, but she never turned into the villain. I thought that's where this was going to go, where Cher created her own villain and it like slowly destroyed her life. But that didn't really happen. <laughs> no, yeah, this was just kind of, you know, we're going from party to party and thing to thing. And I'm a 15 year old working at my dad's law firm for some uh, unbelievable reasons. And then they they introduce a weird romance about halfway through with I I'm assuming is her stepbrother. Dude, I number one, I I have more thoughts on this movie about her her dad hiring a college student <laughs> and a fifteen year old for working on a multi million dollar case than I do on the weird relationship between her and Paul Ryan. Um. But yes, the, that, the Paul Rudd relationship is the one thing that got me because the, the original Jane Austen novel, the main character who Cher is based off of, was fought, fell in love with her stepbrother or some form of sibling, like not direct but related, who was 16 years older than her. Oh and in God. this one, they try and tie that in by being like, oh, Paul Rudd's her stepbrother by i think marriage i don't think by blood but they don't really address why he's still hanging around with the dad other than the dad likes him even though like he only but then they try and justify it they're like oh he was only married to paul rudd's mom for a really short period of time so them getting together is not that weird but he's also like a college freshman and she's 15 for most of the movie yeah it's it's pretty weird in a lot of ways like they they did their kiss at the end with everybody around, and I, all I was thinking to myself was, like, any single other person that knows them would have been, like, the first thought would have been, like, hey, isn't that your brother? It is never, like, addressed as being weird. Like, no one's nope. like, this is weird. Yeah, never brought up once. This is, I mean, to a, to an extent... Like, the age difference in this is not as ridiculous as in Licorice Pizza, which I can never remember if I talked about on the podcast or not. Yeah. But in that one, it was a 10-year gap between, like, a 15-year-old boy and a 25-year-old girl. And I thought that was a re weird relationship. And everyone online was like, it's the 70s. It doesn't <laughs> matter. And I was like, that's, that's still weird. <laughs> and this one, if you're, if I was, like, if I knew someone in college who was a freshman and was dating a 15-year-old, I would be like, this guy's a loser. <laughs> Yeah, we. I mean, it just, I don't know how. Again, maybe the '90s were different, but like this was celebrated. <laughs> like you were, you were supposed to be cheering for this, and at the end, I was like, not only is the age thing a little bit weird, the whole like being a stepbrother is also it's two levels of weird on that where I just could not get behind their relationship. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, not not a fan. Because even if you want to go with the, like, oh, we're not blood relatives and, like, we weren't technically related that for that long, like, I feel like still somebody has to say, hey, isn't that your brother? Just like, what, what's going on? Crap. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, and the rhetoric I've seen online, because I had, I looked this up, I was like, do other people think this weird? is weird the the number of people i saw defending this just made me lose faith in humanity where they're like there's nothing wrong with this at all and i was like i i, I get if you come down on this and you're like no this isn't like ultimately like this is fine i get but like the fact that you are just going to argue there's nothing weird about this at all is going to make me just not respect anything else you have to think because it is it is a weird situation yeah like, I, I texted our editor, I texted Haley earlier today, and I said, you know, is this movie setting me up to root for a romance between step-siblings? And she just sent me back emojis and was like, I guess they're technically ex-step-siblings, but that's all I got. I, I don't have anything else for you. <laughs> I, I, and again, like, I get, like, if people watch, like, this movie uh, apparently was iconic, and some of the lingo they used was made up and then actually started to come into like the teenage lexicon. So I get that people love this movie, but not being able to step back and critically like view some of these things, I think is rough. Like you can like the movie, but still acknowledge there's some like weird parts about this. Yeah. 
And I mean, I should say, I also had never seen this movie before today, so it's not like I have nostalgia tied up in this, but this does not feel like it aged particularly well. I, I think the acting and stuff in this holds up, actually. I, th- I think it's, like, well acted, just the story beats did not hit for me. Right. It, it, I, I, sorry, go. It, it was a delight seeing Donald Faison in this. Yeah, I think this was like his big breakout um, role because I listened to, he did a podcast with Zach Braff that was about Scrubs and he talked about being on Clueless a fair bit and that's part of the reason why I chose this because I had never seen Clueless and then partly, you know, if we don't have, if I can't find a movie, I just try and pick something that I, is one of my blind spots. Uh, but I thought he was pretty funny in it and I saw one of your notes, why was he shaving his head? I think it was because he was actually bald and they didn't want him to wear a hat in every scene or something like that. They the girlfriend comes up to him and says, "Like, what are you doing? Why are you shaving your head in the middle of this party?" And he just says, "I'm keeping it real." And that, they, that's it. That's the end of the conversation. <laughs> Apparently, Paul Rudd like up like uh, tried out for a bunch of different characters, and for Donald Faison's character, he thought it was like a white guy trying to be a rapper, which also just makes me laugh because Donald Faison like his lines in this were so ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but like, I, I think everyone did a good job acting in this and I, I do like seeing in him. I was talking to my wife and I was like, if you told me that his name was in this movie was actually Christopher Turk and it was just the origin story for Turk from scrubs, I would not be surprised. Be awesome. Looking back through this. So we, we have done, I don't know if we've done a fair number of high school movies, but anytime we, we watch like high school movies, uh, it makes me think back, and I gotta say, I put this note. I'm sorry, I forgot. You still have to deal with this, but <laughs> I, I am glad I don't have to remember, like worry about grades anymore. Yeah, I'm still still working through it. This yeah. should be the end, though. Hopefully, just a couple more months of it, and then never again. But yeah, I I definitely still have to worry about grades. The the one that I kick around when I watch movies from like the '90s is is always. Do you remember when you just knew people's phone numbers? Yeah, I used to like know my friends' phone numbers and like my fam like like their house and stuff. I know my childhood phone number, that is my parents' phone number and mine, and that is it. I don't even I can't even remember my wife's phone number. Like she gets stranded in whatever valley that she's in after she gets mugged and she goes to the payphone and just calls Paul Rudd and I would think like, no, I would be completely helpless if somebody came and stole my phone. I, I'll be honest, I, I do remember my parents' phone number, and I weirdly think I could probably remember a couple of my old friends' house phone numbers, but it's it's like I still can remember the numbers that I memorized before I had a cell phone, but anything post-cell phone is, no, I, I have never committed to memory. I mean, maybe the childhood ones are just pure muscle memory, like if you hold the phone because you gotta call them a lot. <laughs> But I don't. I like. I. I don't think I could do any childhood ones. That that was information that has been jettisoned. Yeah. What did you think about the new girl character in this one? I. I, I forget what actress it was. Uh, was it Brittany Murphy? It was Brittany Murphy. Yeah. What did you think of her character in this, and then how they used her? It was fine. I mean, I. I don't know. It seemed like she got scooped up by two people that she had basically nothing in common with, and then they were like, we will just mold you to be like us. It didn't really work for her. Uh, It seemed like she would have been much happier if she had just landed at the school and been able to choose who she wanted to be friends with out of the gate. Yeah, I I do... I actually think the movie did a good job of kind of showing that, like, towards the end, like, oh, she should have just became... Like, Cher did not need to step in. Like, she could have found her own friends, but... I did like her character who was supposed to be a quote unquote like loser that they were going to change um, and who was lost and she was clueless of how everything worked but she was probably the most like active actively like life living character there like she was the only one in the group who had had sex like she knew how to drive like she knew things about the real world whereas they did not really seem to know anything about the real world. Yeah. I thought that was like a good juxtaposition where it's like, oh, these people, uh, the main like the main characters, they know all about like high school life, but once you get in sort of to the real world, they they really did not know what to do. Especially like you said, like after she had gotten robbed, like she didn't want to call her dad. Like she was like, 
oh, you're rubbing me? I can't lay down. Like, this is a great designer. And he's like, what are you talking about? I have a gun to your head. Yeah, I will say I, I, I liked the way they portrayed the kind of, like, absoluteness of being a teenager where, you know, you know, this girl's supposed to be 15, but she knows everything about everything. And so she's, she says, like, oh, when's your birthday? And the, and the new girl says May. And she said, well, I was born in April. So as an older person, let me give you some advice. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, also, too, it's like they're, they're somehow able to just play the ultimate matchmakers in every scenario. Yes. And they're under, like, the movie is somewhat under the impression that you can argue your way out of everything until you can't. When she couldn't do it to the driving test, I was like, oh, thank God they finally addressed that. Like, <laughs> you cannot argue your way out of everything. <laughs> the dad saying, when she brings him her report card and a bunch of the grades have been changed, and she says, like, oh, no, I didn't do any extra credit work or, or retake any exams. I just argued my way to a better grade. And he's, and then, like, he's the lawyer, so he's like, I'm just as proud of you for arguing your way to a better grade than earning one outright. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did I did really like that beat. I think the dad was probably my favorite character in this movie. He, he was by far my favorite character in this movie, too, I think. Like, he had some of the best lines, and I think was also the most grounded character in, in this movie, <laughs> even... When the new boyfriend comes to pick her up, and he, he looks at him and says, I've got a forty-five and a shovel, and I don't think anyone would miss you. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's a devastating line to deliver to somebody. It doesn't phase the character Christian at all. <laughs> nope, not, not one bit. When they introduced him, I was like, this guy, like, he was a little bit of, like, an interesting take. Like, he dressed as, like, 50s big band singers and then when they went to the club i was like this guy's definitely gay right like i hope they address this and the fact that like she had not realized that and him like fight like dawning on it him that like she was trying to get with him and then him just leaving i thought that scene was pretty funny also i gotta say this, this movie had a great soundtrack yeah it wasn't bad i like that they had the mighty boss tones <laughs> like heavily showcased in this Hey, I think I left my cranberry CD outside. Oh my god, is that one of the most 90s lines ever? <laughs> we'll say there there was a couple of things in this that did resonate with me. I, I Skipping to the, the recommendation kind of early, I, I don't think I really liked this movie. But there were a, a few things, like I said, the, the kind of absolute confidence of being a teenager, I, I do miss. <laughs> as a person i i remember how i was when i was like 15 or 16 i was so sure about everything in the universe but also when the the new girl when ty is having like her her kind of breakdown like oh he doesn't actually like me they said let's blow off seventh and eighth period go to the mall and have a like a calorie fest and watch a movie and i was like that i that resonates with me i would love to blow off glasses and <laughs> go eat and watch a movie that sounds amazing I this so you like talked about like the absoluteness of teenage years. I get that, but it was so weird because the movie jumped between her character being like extremely intelligent and then just dumb, you know. Like, and they they seem to make fun of like the college kids for being pompous in their intelligence, but also being kind of dumb too. But like they they go from her like being being able to quote Shakespeare to her not knowing how to pronounce Haitian. <laughs> yeah, which. Which, funny note, apparently uh, Alicia Silverstone actually didn't know how to pronounce Haitians. Like, that wasn't in the script. She thought it was pronounced Hadians. And then the director was like, oh, this is perfect. And no one tell Leave her it it's in. wrong. <laughs> yeah. But like, just, like, little That's things awesome. like that, like, like, it throws me off a little bit. Because I think at some points it's like, oh, yeah, like, these people are still children. They don't know what they're talking about. But then also, you know, they know very random stuff, except then they don't know other things. Like, I think she called Spartacus Sporadicus at one point. <laughs> it's just, well, it, was, it was weird to be like, it was just, that was like a lot of weird choices to me, but I, I, I did yeah. like that part. I mean, it, it, it kind of makes sense to me. I mean, it, it smacks of like, I just watched that Mel Gibson Hamlet. So like, I, it's, <laughs> it's very fresh in my brain. So I'm going to correct this woman kind of like, right. Very like I have retained the last thing that I have experienced and now i'm I'm an expert in it for a little while and just like the absolute confidence in something and then just being wrong <laughs> like yeah. not even understanding that you might have it wrong i will say that this feels like 
a kind of spiritual predecessor to Legally Blonde. Like, I kept thinking Legally Blonde as, as I watched this movie. Another movie I've never seen, even though I heard it's actually one of the best legal movies ever made, like <laughs> that and My Cousin Vinny. Yeah, I, I've i also heard that, I, and again, I didn't really care for Legally Blonde. I don't even know if I finished it. I, I watched. I know I watched the first half. I might have fallen asleep. <laughs> we'll put that on our list for long term. <laughs> Uh, one of the scenes, one of the, like, I guess the bits in the movie that I, I did think was funny was when she got into helping people and she was doing a uh, collection of goods for Pismo beach. And at one point she's like carrying her skis out and her dad's like, what are you doing? And she's like, daddy, they lost everything. That includes sporting apparels. Like these people whose houses burned down would like want these like cross country skis or whatever she had. And like, well, the stoner kid came and donated all of his bongs. I mean, it's like scenes like that. I'm like, it's funny and endearing because it's like people meaning well, but also it's just like the ridiculousness of this. <laughs> I also, I also don't know. Maybe I'm, am wrong on this, but it seemed to me too that as the movie went on, Cher became less like herself in the in the initial stages and. Ty became more like her, where like Ty started dressing more like her and wearing more makeup. And towards the end, you saw Cher not dressing as fashionably and not wearing as much makeup as she had in the beginning. So I thought that was interesting to see kind of their characters flip. And that's why I thought I was going, we were going to see Ty like take a heel turn and become a the bad girl. Well, Ty told Cher that college kids like girls without makeup, and she was trying to get with college Paul Rudd. So, oh, I that's a good pickup. I didn't, I did not remember that line. I think probably the most famous line from this movie, and I, I still do think it's funny, is when Ty told Cher that she she was like, who cares what you think? You're just a virgin who can't drive. <laughs> and yeah, then, tough hit. Uh, the, the actress playing Ty like admitted that <laughs> when she delivered that line, she was also a virgin who couldn't drive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I do want to get onto one thing on this, though, because it infuriated me. <laughs> More than it should have. And that's the scene when, like, for some reason, her dad's this high-powered attorney. I forget what she said his raid was at the beginning of the movie, but it was, like, something absurdly high. Uh, and he's, like, doing this multi-million dollar litigation. And for some reason, he has Paul Rudd, who's a college freshman, helping him review depositions. And his 15-year-old daughter review depositions. And it seems like pretty easy work. He's like, look for phone conversations on this date and highlight them. But any attorney will tell you that they won't even trust the work that a first-year law student is doing, <laughs> let alone the work of a high school scene, like a high school sophomore. Yeah. And so in the scene when his associate, presumably associate, is like livid that she messed up, like that's entirely on him for not double-checking her or watching her work because. Like, that's just ridiculous that he would trust her to know what to do properly, like, regardless of how intelligent they think she is. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, it's a professional, it's, it's a professional anything. Imagine entrusting a 15-year-old to do basically anything. Right, like, if he had gone to court, like, you can't go to judge, like, I'm sorry, our 15-year-old assistant didn't do it. They'd be like, no, that's malpractice on your part. Why did you trust a 15-year-old to do this? Child labor. Yeah, it's just, it, that that part was ridiculous. That like I was just like, there's no way this guy like they. I get like why they did this scene, but like anyone who would be angry about this as a lawyer is just completely wrong on this. Side. <laughs> and then he's like, I'm taking the day off, and it's like, dude, that's not going to help your situation. Like this needs to get fixed. Yeah, I'm calling in sick. The judge, like you don't get to hold up a trial the, the trial the next day. One other thing I did want to point out is Stacey Dash, who played like the best friend in this, was 29 playing a 15-year-old. Holy crap. Which which blew my mind because I just recently watched a um it's like a documentary series called The Dark Side of the 90s, which is a continuation of a Vice series called The Dark Side of the Ring, which was about wrestling stories that don't often get told. Uh but regardless, they did an episode on 90210, and one of the actresses, and that was like a 29 year old playing like a 16 year old. So I, I feel like that's very nineties of it where the, the show in some, ex to some extent, like mirrors 90210 to me where it's like, Oh, these rich kids dealing with problems. But I just thought it was really funny that they had 
the same like issue of a very uh, an actress who is much older than her role playing that role yeah so christian do you know how this fared at the box office yeah i mean it did pretty pretty significant uh uptick its budget was 12 million its box office was 56 and a half million so it made god uh like almost five times its money back Critically, this did pretty good, too. It has a 81% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 76% audience score, which I guess isn't surprising because, like we had said at the beginning of this, uh, this is on some of the top movies of all time lists. So people who went out there saw this, loved it. I think they have a lot of nostalgia for it. And, like, the lingo from it entered the teenage lexicon and continued to be in it for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, people, people love this movie. I'm just not necessarily one of them okay so i I will ask you will you will you suggest our audience check this movie out oh god i don't know this is one of the ones where i'm torn like so many people do love this i feel like i it should be a recommend just to see it but i i don't know i'm not gonna watch it again (laughs) that's what's hard like this if on paper i should have loved this movie but when i watched it i i didn't i like i saw why people would have liked it but it just didn't do it for me. Like I, I didn't find, I think a lot of the scenes that people would have loved as funny as they would have. Like I just was like, yeah, it's humorous. The whole stepbrother thing kind of threw me off <laughs> a little. Like being like, oh, that's like weird. So the final message when it's like hinted they're going to get married when she catches the bouquet is like, it's still weird, you know. So I don't know. I guess if you like have not seen it and you want to fill a blind spot, it's worth checking out. It's on. Uh, hbo max so it's free but otherwise like i i don't think this is a recommended movie for me either yeah all right now for the books segment christian there's not really much uh book news i could find this week or anything (laughs) that i've been consuming i didn't get to read too many uh comics last week i'm still working i have like two issues left on captain adam so i don't want to talk about that till i finish it the only major story i saw is that they're basically continuing with our book sales uh segment every month now (laughs) they're predicting that sales will fall in 2022 uh below the 2021 levels but they should be above the 2019 and 2020 but it just, I don't know, I, f- I find it interesting to look into the publishing news on this because a couple years ago it seemed like print was dead and now it's stronger than it's been in quite a while. <laughs> so yeah, it's, they, I think they said they thought that the rise in it last year was, or I guess the past two years was, number one, the pandemic threw everything in turmoil. So book sales rose while people were at home. And then uh, social justice issues really becoming the forefront had driven people to buy more books in that genre um so who knows if that continues into 2022 right i will say i'm reading words of radiance right now and i want to finish it so i can chat with you about it i'm like halfway (laughs) through right now i am really enjoying it it's just i know you can read those books in like a day or two but they're they're dense for me to finish oh well i mean with the caveat that i don't do anything else (laughs) and you stay up for 20 minutes straight (laughs) I read that fourth one in 31 hours, but I had like a 20% head start and I like barely ate and didn't sleep. So <laughs> it's definitely not for the uh, the average person to do. Yeah, I when I go back and I reread them, it usually takes me like maybe two weeks to get through one of the Stormlight books because they, they're so long. I mean, there isn't a single one under a thousand pages and the first one is the only one under 1100. Yeah, I mean, it's it's taking me a while. I'm I'm about a month in now, and I'm about halfway through. I, you know, I read like, I, my goal is I try and read like seven chapters a week, so it evens out to like one chapter a night. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't always happen that way. Um, but it's one of those where like, if I wasn't doing anything and I had nothing else going on, I think I would end up reading it all day. That's what happened when I finished the first one. Is I was home for Christmas. And I ended up like starting reading at 10 and I read to like three just to finish off like the last however many pages because it was like so it hooked me so hard at the end. Yeah. Um, and I know that's going to get there here at one point, but 
Uh, Shallon's growing on me. I will say that I like her a lot more than I did in book one. Like she was an impediment to me actually getting past like page 100 in book one. And now <laughs> I, I am enjoy I am enjoying her, her sections, especially now spoiler alert. Now that she has made it to the shattered planes. Oh, okay, cool. So I can at least talk to you about, uh, that then. So it, it's been revealed at this point that Shallan has a shard blade. Yes, um, I'm at the point where she had just did her first infiltration for the ghost bloods, and um, like they thought she's was I forget whoever the person she killed's um, ward or whatever her her mm-hmm. assistant, and they were like, "Go look at Amaram's um, castle or whatever you call it they have on his war camp." I don't know. They oh, want her man. to do that. Good old Amram showing up at the shattered plans. Throw yeah, a wrench I, in all of Kaladin's character development. <laughs> I'm really interested. That's actually what I'm most interested in on this book is to see how what like what Kaladin's choice ends up being on that. Is it vengeance or is it some other route? Because you have like that, and then we just found out like Mosh is trying to kill Elkohar or however you say his name. Um, so it's like two people bent on revenge, and one of them Kaladin's like, you can't do that, but he's also pursuing revenge against someone else who wronged him so i'm really interested on that development yeah you've got quite a ride on a a bunch of that still still to come um but i i wanted to to point out quickly like this is something that i i'm really kind of obsessed with that sanderson has a writing style where he will give away like huge plot twists real early on but you won't notice them because you won't have enough information yet to understand that it's a plot twist. Is it in the like writings or whatever at the start of the chapters? Some of them are, but the for Shalon in her, I think, first chapter in Way of Kings, in that first book, she describes herself as having a secret that's hidden ten heartbeats away. Yes. And that is before you are introduced to the concept of a shard blade, and so the ten heartbeats has no significance. But on a, a reread, you're like, oh, he told us she has a shard blade, like, in her first chapter. We just didn't... You just have to remember that that, like, throwaway line is there. Yeah, I was guessing she had one in the first book when she said, like, her dad died or something. And just because I assumed every character got a shard blade, that she had one. <laughs> but I guess everyone might not get a shard blade after reading the first book. The one, the ones that got me though are the ones where they do the chatting and the or whatever the the stuff in the beginning of the chapter that have meaning, but I never understood that it was actually anything useful to the end of the first book. Yeah. And so I would if, like to go through and reread those to see what I missed in the first book. I know I had mentioned before that the that section three of the first book, all of the uh, epigraphs are like you can combine them all into a, a letter. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned that, yeah. Uh, well, this one, I think it's also part three again. It does the exact same thing, and it's it's a response letter to the first one. Oh, interesting. So yeah, the, the, the first one is uh, Hoyd writing to someone, and then in this one you get the, the response back to him again. Hmm. So the first section of book two was like Navani's history that's implying that I guess the, gosh, the Parashendi getting storm form and attacking in some way. I'm guessing something goes bad for them. And then I think section two was just about the Parashendi's different forms. Yeah. So, yeah, mate forms, uh, work form, war form. Was there any? There's a ton of them. Oh, yeah, it did seem like a lot more than, like, the four they had mentioned. Uh, was there any indication that the Parshendi and the Parshman were the Voidbringers in the first book that I missed until the very end? Not necessarily. Um, my friend Rachel picked it up like maybe five pages before it happened. But yeah, it, it's it's really just the like they keep describing them as having skin of ash and fire, and it's then they describe the Parshman as having you know, uh, whatever it is, like marbled red and gray or red and black skin. But that's that's basically it. Okay. I don't know if there's something huge I missed there, because that was like a reveal. I was like, oh man, that that's a good reveal. Yeah. 
And the reveal of who the true villain of the book, first book, I was not guessing that one at all. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's a huge fan of the butt. Um, but yeah, enjoying that. I hope is to finish it by the end of February, realistically. Nice. <laughs> All right, now in some quick television news and one movie uh, point that I see you put here that I meant to text you about but never did. Uh, first off, we talked about Joe Exotic briefly last week. He's back in the news again because a judge resentenced him to 21 years in prison, I guess. He had appealed his original case and a court found that the first uh, trial had improperly viewed his sentences separately instead of together. Um, but... The outcome was he got sentenced to 21 years now instead of 22. So, you know, not a win for him. No, not particularly. I mean, his best bet was getting pardoned by Donald Trump, and they were so confident he would that they had that limo outside of a prison, which is just, I mean, that's 2020 right there, yeah. right? Like a reality star thinking another reality star is going to pardon him. Yeah, I mean, the man does not lack for confidence, that is for sure. Of Trump's pardons, I feel like Joe Exotic may have been like the least uh, objectionable to all sides. I think people were like, "Who cares?" I'm like, yeah, like a lot of people, like uh, he he should be in jail. But I think like the response would have been like, oh, "Okay, I guess." <laughs> like he, he had a funny TV show. Um, did you this? This is actually more surprising television news to me though, because I didn't know it was this popular. Did you see Disney Plus is now one of the five streaming services to exceed 22 billion in sales? And a part of me finds that stunning because I don't care about so much on that platform. But I, I guess I guess a, another part of me is not really that surprised because they've got all the Disney Plus like Marvel and Star Wars shows now, and I'm sure that's where like 100% of this money is coming from. Oh yeah, I think it's parents honestly is like who's paying for this because yeah. you, know, you have for the kids and then if you're uh you have young kids right now you're probably you grew up liking star wars and marvel stuff so it makes sense like i use disney plus but i use my friends i'm probably i don't plan on to ever pay for it and i honestly know <laughs> like two people who pay for disney plus so this was on a anecdotal level surprising to me but when i'm like oh it's disney of course like yeah everyone got it because it's disney like they're a con mega conglomerate that like is extremely popular yeah i mean i pay for it i i think if the marvel cinematic universe wasn't on it i probably wouldn't i like i i don't know i have downloaded versions of most of the mcu on a computer somewhere but it's not the one that i use anymore and I was like, you know, why go through the trouble of trying to like find them and import them all when I can just pull it up on Disney Plus? But like, I don't really even watch the Star Wars movies on Disney Plus at all. I watched Mandalorian, but I haven't watched like Bad Batch or Visions, or I'm I'm not watching Boba Fett. I don't I don't know. I <laughs> I I'm I'm just not as into the Star Wars universe. But I did like most of the Marvel shows. What was actually surprised me more, I think, about this story was they listed out the other four companies that exceed $2 billion. Netflix makes sense to me. YouTube a little bit makes uh, surprises me because I'm not sure if that's like from paying for YouTube, uh, YouTube Plus or YouTube Premium, whatever their service is called, or if that's just like their ad revenue, which if it's just ad revenue, that makes sense because YouTube's huge. Right. Uh, so that one's 50-50. To me, the other two, I looked them up because I wasn't sure who they were. It's Tencent Video, who I know also owns a video game company, and IQIYI, which I think these are just two Chinese companies, and that makes sense to me because China's just such a, such a huge market, so that's why they're up there. But uh, yeah, I was, I was really surprised about Disney making this list over like Hulu or HBO or any of those guys, which I think have the better service. Yeah. All right, and finally, this should have been in, uh, I guess, the movie section. But do you wanna do you wanna announce who the new Fast Ten villain is, Christian? Oh my God! Well, is he a villain? Is that? Oh, I guess I don't know if he's a villain. I saw like a headline that said, like he's in talks to be a villain, and then I saw they signed him. So I'm assuming he's the next villain, but I guess I could be wrong. 
Oh man, I I got on Twitter yesterday and or the day before, whenever it was, and I started shrieking like a deranged person because Jason Momoa was announced to be a, the newest member of the Fast and Furious family. I think he's a great addition. I mean, this is the first villain, like first person who's joined that I'm really excited for since Statham. Uh, yeah, I I will say a little bit of uh like history trivia. He was supposed to be the Rock's brother in Hobbs and Shaw. That, that would have been a great tie-in, I guess. But yeah, he w- he was supposed to play the Rock's brother, but then he couldn't do it due to like a scheduling conflict. So they got the the other little braided man. But uh, yeah, so this was, I guess he was. They've been trying to get him in there for a couple years at least, and now they finally got him. Uh, I I really like Jason Momoa, so I I am excited to see him in this, and I'm excited for the last two uh, Fast Fast and Furious movies. Yeah, be sad to see it end. Rock's definitely not rejoining though. <laughs> Is that for sure? I mean, unless they are doing like a bit. Um, like, do you saw Vin Diesel like wrote that tweet where he's like, Dwayne, yeah, you have to join this. My kids call you uncle and stuff. The Rock later did an interview where he's like, Yeah, that like that's Vin Diesel just like pooling drama, it, or, or like using the internet trying to bully me into it. He's like, I told him per- like privately before this, like, I'm not joining, please don't do anything. Like, I just don't want to be in the franchise anymore. And he's like, and this is Vin Diesel's attempt to try and make me look like the bad guy when I don't respond to this after I had already told him that I'm just not doing this. That sucks. Yeah, yeah, it does. Because this is like, The Rock is is beyond the Fast and Furious franchise at this point, where like Vin Diesel, like Fast and Furious franchise is like Vin Diesel's like baby, right? Like yeah. The Rock was a good addition, but... So like I get Diesel trying to get him back into it, but I, I feel like you can't do like public crap like that and then ex- like and then get mad if the rock says no <laughs> do you think they'll bring john cena back they have to i imagine they have to too but like does he join the does everyone just fighting jason momoa now like i don't know i mean Charlize is still out there like i i want 10 and 11 to be like the avengers infinity war and Endgame, where it's just like have you had like ten seconds of screen time in a Fast and you're Furious in. movie, you're in it. I mean, dude, they they started doing that a little bit. They brought back the uh, like two for a significant air, uh, screen time. The the Fast Three guys, yeah, the drift guys. So I, I I don't think they're like against that idea. Like I want the Rock back. I want Statham. I want Luke Evans. Uh, hell, I want Kevin Hart and Ryan Reynolds. I want Idris Elba. <laughs> Yeah, I want the, the whole shooting gallery. At the at the end of ten, though, half of them just turn to dust. <laughs> <laughs> what if they just recreated Endgame in Fast and Furious? What they did with the last Star Wars movie? Char- Charlize Theron creates a device <laughs> that just eliminates half the world's population but somehow doesn't hit any uh, it only hits the non-founding members of the crew oh my god and then they i mean to... it wouldn't be outside the realm honestly the last several movies have been like if like you know they're gonna nuke the planet or they're going to unleash a techno bomb that's going to destroy the internet or whatever the big scene in fast 11 christian is vin diesel and Paul Walker's hologram. Oh no! <laughs> Get into the <laughs> is it the Hadron Collider. <laughs> they have to drive so fast and smash into each other that they create a warp in time that they then have to go back and stop Charlie's throw. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be Fast and Furious No Way Home. <sighs> oh my gosh! And then well then. <laughs> What what we what we really need though is they need to find live action versions of the cartoon character kids. Oh my gosh, they no, they bring them in as cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> there's like a there's a there's a into the spider ver into the furious verse yep. vibe. <laughs> Welcome to the family verse. Paul Walker finally makes it. No, Paul Walker. Paul Shear finally makes his appearance. <laughs> Oh man, I'm excited. I mean, I feel like if anyone who's listened to this podcast knows we're fans. I am excited for um, for Fast Ten. Not excited for Spy Racers though. I was talking to someone this weekend. 
There's like four seasons of that in two years, isn't there? Yeah, I, there might be five. I, like we watched the first one it was terrible. I I cannot imagine it got better. There are six. Oh, that really There are six seasons of this. Christian, show. The first season was like April 2020, right? Like it was fresh into the pandemic that we watched that, I think. Right, hang on, I've got the release dates pulled up right here. Season 1 does not have a subtitle. It was December 2019. Okay, then so it was right before the pandemic. Almost a year later, Rio came out October 2020. Sahara came out December 2020. Mexico came out April 2021. South Pacific, August 2021. And Homecoming, December 2021. So it was three three seasons in 2019, 2020, and then three seasons in 2021. They must be doing great numbers. To I guess. That much, and the, man. the last season is 12 episodes. So it's it's all the others are eight episodes, and then the last one's 12. It's one of those where, like, I don't want to watch it, but I want to know if they just start incorporating more of the Fast and Furious universe into it so it would be worth watching, like, season, like, four or something, you know? Well, yeah, a uh, really unsettling-looking Vin Diesel is in the first season, so... Yeah, I... Oh, man. That show has a monster truck in it. (laughs) That is really fast. Every every now and then I it does pop because it's still in my list from when I watched the first season back in probably early twenty twenty. But every now and then it'll pop up, and I think I should get caught up on this. But man, six seasons! I don't know if I could do that. Yeah, man, <laughs> it's not a lot of episodes each, but it's enough. I don't like. I don't know if you want to subject yourself to it though, because the first season wasn't even like that good. Like it's I hate it, but it wasn't show. amazing. It's like a bad kid show, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's it's basically what it is. It's like a an old like WB Saturday morning. If you didn't put the name Fast and Furious in it, you would have no idea really that that was part of like the Fast and Furious <laughs> franchise, except for Vin Diesel appears twice in the first season. Um, oh my god. Okay, now I have to watch it. Why? I'm I'm looking at the recurring guest stars, and one of them's Danny Trejo. What? <laughs> Is he even in the frame? He's not even in any of the movies. Nope. He, Danny Trejo as Tuco, Cisco's uncle, conspiracy theorist, and famous wrestler known as the Ocelot King. Yeah, I'm going to watch all these. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. If you'd like to contact us, we are at Gambots Network on Twitter, or you can email us at gambots.blog at gmail.com. Also, we have a website now if you want to check that out. That's gambotsnetwork.com. And finally, if you're listening to somewhere where you can rate and subscribe, we'd appreciate it as that does help with marketing. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Thank you.